Here's the Thing is supported by the Venture Card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? WNYC is supported by BAM, presenting The Suit, a South African tale of a man, his wife, and the suit her lover leaves behind. Directed by Peter Brook, January 17 through February 2nd. Tickets and more at BAM.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing from WNYC Radio. Three years ago, 23-year-old Lena Dunham made a low-budget art house film called Tiny Furniture. She filmed the movie in her parents' house and basically played herself, a recent college graduate moving back into her childhood bedroom while making plans for her future. Dunham was proclaimed a fresh, original voice, a director with a bright future. Writer-director Judd Apatow was one of those who took notice, and today he and Dunham executive produce Girls, a show she created for HBO that premiered its second season on January 13th. So you're good? Yeah, I am so good. Are you kidding? I have never been this well in my life. No, I know. I mean, you seem good. It's just that the wedding was so quick and unexpected. I kind of didn't know how to process it or if you'd like... Yeah, well, you tend to overthink things, and that's an issue for you. This is what it's like when the hunt is over. I think Sandy really likes me. I really like him, too. I mean, he's so nice and funny when we have sex. There's no part of me that wants to, like, pretend I don't exist, which is a rarity. That's awesome. He's kind of a Republican, which feels weird. What's wrong with a Republican? just the same as a Democrat. They're all dirtbags. Lena Dunham has achieved an astonishing amount in just three years. Her portrayal of Hannah Horvath in Girls recently won her a Golden Globe Award for Best Actress in a Comedy Series. This past October, she sold a book of essays and advice to Random House, and her boyfriend is a rock star. Today, she hardly resembles Aura, her character from Tiny Furniture. I thought I wouldn't have much in common with Lena. She's half my age and has been fiercely embraced by my daughter's generation. But oh, how quickly we realized there was common ground between us, literally. My show's moving into the 30 Rock stages. No. Yes. We're taking over. You guys are moving to Silver Cup? Yes. You and Michael Fox. We were in Silver Cup. Then we went to Steiner because we couldn't get our stages back because some show that has one word that's about murder took it. And then we are coming back because you guys are leaving. So we're going to be on your stages and in your offices. Oh, my God. No, no. I thought, uh, isn't Michael Fox coming there, too? He is. We're, I think we don't take as much stage space as you guys did. So we're going to have, because we have fewer sets. So I think you Mr. Fox is going to have, we're going to have a piece and he's going to have a piece. Wow. Now, as I'm sitting here meeting you for the first time and talking to you for the first time, you are nothing like I imagined you would be. Really? Nothing. I'm a bit thrown here because you play someone who is, I guess, in your mind, and I want to talk about your vision of what kind of character you wanted to create, is a little bit a beat behind everyone else. Or I'll I'll let you articulate that, what you think she is. That's well put, though. But but what I want to say is you, when I meet you, you seem like you could be like a senator or the, uh, the, the head of the corporation. I mean, you're really very, very... You seem so together and smart, and you look great. Thank you. And you you. cut your hair, and you look gorgeous. (laughs) That is firstly very meaningful, and I have to not turn red and get excited because you said that. It's radio, so don't care. (laughs) Okay, good. We don't care what color we turn. Okay, good. Perfect. And I'm wearing my crew jacket, and I really—I should have dressed up more for you. But that being said, you know, it's funny. Firstly, the a beat behind idea— really speaks to me because I'm always sort of saying when people ask about Hannah I'm always sort of saying she's a version of me but she's a few years behind me and she's also sort of 
a few minutes behind everyone around her. So you really picked up on a concept that I'm sort of always thinking about a little bit when I play her and when I write her. But she's who you used to be. You know, it's funny. I think I used to... I think I... To, in order to convince myself that I should play this character or that I should even write this character, I had to say, well, I'm just writing myself. It's that easy. I'm just writing myself because the idea of sort of creating an entire other human can be so intimidating. And who I'm, are you, though? In real life? In real life, who are you? I think that Hannah is someone who I'm very capable of being, who's wounded, ambitious, but doesn't know where to place it. Hannah's sort of the version of myself if I'd had less understanding parents and sort of less drive to get things done. And I think who I am as a person who is always sort of, if I had to describe the war within myself that exists currently, it's sort of the challenge of trying to reconcile the part of me that that always thought I would be like, you know, a weird gender and women's studies teacher who occasionally showed movies at film festivals and hung out in my strange apartment that was stacked high with books, trying to reconcile that with the part of me that has to, like, figure out a dress. Shoot the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. Exactly. It was to shoot the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. It was to figure out a dress to wear that for an event that, and everyone seems to be worried about whether or not the dress is in stores because it has to be my own dress. And so I'm dealing with all these sort of, this strange ecosystem and all these weird politics that I kind of never imagined would happen to me in my lifetime. You never imagined? No. You really never imagined it? I think I, my dream situation was that I would be someone who people thought, oh, she's doing important work in her own little corner. Like a Roz Chast cartoon character. Exactly. Like a Roz Chast cartoon character or like, I think because I went to pretentious private school, the biggest dream you would have is you'd be like, I'm going to be Joan Didion. That was kind of where... Your brain was allowed to wander. Or maybe but. Nora Ephron. Maybe you'll make films, but you're not going to be in films. Exactly. And I don't think – when I first started acting, I mean, I never got parts in high school. I never even – I never was able – I think I had a twofold thing about it. One is that I came from a family of artists, and so the idea was sort of like you made your work and then got out of the way of it. Like part of what was – I think I internalized the idea that your work was supposed to speak for you. You were not supposed to speak for your work. And so I think I was self-conscious about the idea of being – Self-promoting. Self-promoting. And although that's not what acting is, it's... It is now. It's become that. (laughs) And then I also think that I thought, well, there's people who are professionals who can do this better than me. So I'm just going to act until I have access to the people who should be acting. And sometimes I still feel that way. Sometimes I think like, you know, I'll do this a little longer and then Michelle Williams can play me every day (laughs) till I die. (laughs) Something that's really nice about making a show that isn't... That is a comedy that isn't stuck in any sort of net. I mean, 30 Rock was able to bust out of a lot of network sitcom tropes. But a lot of the time when you're on a I think one of the biggest things that networks prevent besides curse words and showing your breasts is development. I think that when you play, I think so many sitcom characters end up playing the same version of themselves in various scenarios. It's funny. This is this is the thing. As God is my judge, this is the thing that we talked about in the meeting to prep this thing with you, which was shows I've seen where the protagonist, male or female, they're going through the same set of problems in season six that they were in season one. It's just different lines and different co-stars. Yeah. And with you, I'm wondering, do you have a Bible on the show? Do you have an arc in your mind? Not even on paper, not even approved with your other – because you do this with Judd, correct? I do it with Judd and a woman named Jenny Connor, who's the other executive producer. And 
we have a great little writer's room, but our writer's room doesn't really work like it's not like we write a script and then all sit together punching it up. It's much more we sit together at the beginning of the season and really talk through. It's like a giant therapy session where we work out the emotional arc and then we go to it. And when you work out that emotional arc, do you think to yourself, are the things that she's going through now, your character and the other characters, where you're saying to yourself, let's make sure they're not going through this, that there is growth a season from now or by the end of the season? Completely. And that's why I feel like it's okay for me to cut my hair or it's okay for me to start spinning or it's okay for me, you know, whatever I, whatever. To change. To change because I feel as though so much of what this show is about is about seeing these girls off into their adulthood. Like in my Bible, the ideal finale to the show would be a feeling like, you know, they don't have to have kids, they don't have to have husbands, but you look at them and you kind of go, they're on their way, they're more okay than they were when they started. Or they're less okay, but we have an understanding of what kind of adult we think they're going to be. Right. So describe to me how that works, because the theme here is control, and you are like other uh, brilliant comedy writing chicks I've known over the years. <laughs> you have, this is your show, this is your thing. So how does it start? How does wh- Whose idea was girls? Uh, was it yours? It was mine because I basically, I went in, I made this movie Tiny Furniture and I made it, you know, my mom and sister starred. We shot it in my mom's house, my mom and dad's house. We, um, it was totally populated with friends, some of whom have made their way to girls with me. And What motivated you to want to do Tiny Furniture? I had always wanted to be a writer and I used to think I wanted to be a playwright. And then in college, I sort of had this revelation where I thought like, plays, you rehearse and you rehearse, and then they happen twice. Like, I just felt so frustrated by the lack of permanence. Like, I'd always been sort of turned on by the fact that when my parents as artists made work, like, they had these material items that would outlast them, and I was frustrated that that wasn't a part of the theater experience. So I started making short films, and I made my first feature and went to South by Southwest Film Festival with it, and then I just... Had the, and I'd been making web TV, and I just had this itch to sort of tell the specific story, and I wrote the script. And the kind well, of, that's what I want to talk about is, is is that itch meaning beyond the arc of the shooting and the uh, and 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 the career aspects of it, or the burgeoning career. What, what, what was it about? What was going on in your life that you wanted to do that movie? On a practical, real life level, I wanted to talk about that moment between college and adulthood that felt so floundering, and so every day I felt like I was walking through the strangest most surreal soup. That would mean that on a deeper level, I kind of wanted to talk about change, which is what I always think is sort of the most interesting place to find characters is in a time of intense change. And so I sort of also wanted to capture this moment where I was, I knew that I wouldn't live at home forever, that my little sister wouldn't be sort of 17 and ambitious and, but also stuck in her bedroom forever, that my mom was sort of looking in this beautiful moment where she kind of was I mean, she'll murder me for saying this, but she looked that kind of beautiful way where it's like you're not quite old yet and you just look kind of – she just looked kind of perfect to me and I just – Like a great car. Yeah. (laughs) And I just thought – She's not my mother, so I can say that. (laughs) Exactly. And I just thought I want to capture all of this. I want to capture our cats. I want to capture our house. I want to remember all of this. And so – So you really love your mom. I'm obsessed with my mom. Okay. <laughs> I love my mom. And the, but I'm saying that's interesting that you have that feeling, and that's what makes you survey what's around you and want to capture that. Because I find typically people who are not happy, they got to wait a while till they can negotiate the pain to go back and talk totally. about that. So one of the biggest things that inspires me to make work is this feeling of looking around and going, even if you're not perfect, you're all so perfect right now. Let's Let's capture this and then... 
you know, I'd love the feeling. I was just watching like Panic in Needle Park last week, that movie, yeah. which is, you know. A, Kitty Wynn. Kitty, gosh, she's so good. Ooh. Where did Kitty Wynn go? Yeah, let me get that vial out for Kitty Wynn. She's <laughs> incredible. But so I was watching that and I was just thinking about how exciting it was to be able to watch sort of like Al Pacino at that first moment when he was sort of like, he still almost looked a little adolescent and mm. he was still, tr- and he was learning his craft. And, and just I, behaving on film. Yeah, and I just love capturing that and that's something that I've, tried to do with girls, too, is sort of grab people and go, let's just let's just see you as you are right now. Now, the uh, so the film did well. So then how does girls happen? Girls happen because so then I went to L.A. and kind of did that. I went like, OK, I guess what you do next is get an agent. And I guess what you do next is try to figure out what you do next. Tiny Furniture helped you do all that. I mean, you're on the runway now. Yes, I was was on the runway and I was going around L.A. doing the sort of what I call the couch and water bottle tour of L.A. where you meet (laughs) everybody and have those kind of general meetings where, and I remember it was so funny because at first I didn't understand that everybody says to you at the end of the general meeting, oh, I'd love to find a way to work with you. And so I would call my agent afterwards and go, oh my God, it was amazing. And he said he wants to find a way to work with me. And he meant he wants you to come clean his pool. Yeah, basically. I'd always been obsessed with TV. I'd always loved TV and found it to be the most sort of comforting medium and the one that... What comforted you on TV? What comforted me on TV was <laughs> there was a range of things that comforted me on TV. I love... something weird. What was the most... What was the weirdest? I mean, my favorite show when I was little was Under the Umbrella Tree, which is a Canadian show about a woman who lives with three puppets. And it was on every morning at 7 a.m. Good God. There were three of them named Iggy... Gloria and Jay. And Iggy was an iguana, Gloria's a groundhog, and Jay is a blue jay, and he lives out back in a birdhouse. They, like, talk to you about recycling or, like, help their old elderly neighbor who fell down in the street. Like, they're just, like, nice puppets. But looking back, it feels like a child molester who's on the lamb with her three victims. My, my guilty pleasure like that was when I was in my 20s, and I go to my friend's house, and we just had this weird habit where, like, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, we'd, like, make a drink, and we'd roll the biggest joint, and we'd smoke pot and watch a show called Stairway to Stardom that was on public access TV. And Stairway oh to Stardom God. was this older man... He kind of looked like Rod Steiger. He was like a burly-looking, tough-looking older man. And his wife, and she kind of looked like uh, uh, like Tammy Faye Baker. She was like a big, big, honeycombed, shellacked hairdo. <laughs> and she was like this big, bosomy, older woman. And the guy would come out, and he had the funniest voice. He'd be like, welcome, everyone, to Stairway to Stardom. <laughs> and, and they'd sing a song, an opening song. And they would bring out acts that would perform. They were all like local Queens, Brooklyn talent. That People amazing. singing and parakeets. It was like, it was bizarre. That sounds like the best thing in the world. It was the best show in the world, especially if you'd smoked an enormous joint. Amount of marijuana. An enormous joint. So, so, so you're on the Sofa Water Bottle Tour and what happens? On the Sofa Water Bottle Tour and my agent who, I, I feel like you're not supposed to say you love your agent because it makes you sound really Hollywood. You out, love everyone. I love everyone and also I have the best agent. He's like really been at it for a long time. He's like a cigar smoking you know, he's what I imagined an agent would be. What's his name? Be. His name's Peter Benedek. Peter Benedek, I know. I, Peter Benedek, and he so, smokes cigars. Mm-hmm. He's old school. He's old school. He's like out of a Hector MacArthur play. Exactly, and he belongs to a cigar club. Which one does he belong to? Mm, I think it says it has the, a Cuban flair Is it to Grand the, Havana? I think it is. I'm on the board of Grand Havana. Are you really? I know Peter, and I probably have seen him at Grand Havana. Wow. Fantastic. He always and I probably hung me. out there and smoked cigars with him when you were still a gleam <laughs> in your parents' eye. You weren't even around. God <laughs> I, damn it, the way this business works. No, no, no. So so he's your agent and you love him. I love him. And he said to me, 
I was sort of saying to him, like, maybe I could get – I just wanted to make move out of my parents' house and I thought – and make more movies. And I was like, maybe I could – should write a spec, How I Met Your Mother, and I could get staffed on a show. I mean, I didn't know any – I didn't know how any of this worked. And he said that I should go for a meeting at HBO, and I did. And I said, well, here's what I'd want to see is, like, a show about all my girlfriends, like, sort of like Tiny Furniture, but there's more of us. And we don't live with our parents anymore, but it's still about that. It's like – it was pitched so – Weekly, like a year after my movie, but there's more of us, and it's a TV show. So the so the conversation wasn't uh, coming out of, and Tiny Furniture in the indie and in the festival world had a very good buzz. What, there was no conversation, but you just going right into films and making more films. Normally, they're going to want to steer some, especially your age was very young. They're going to go, let's just keep making movies. Well, you know, there was a conversation, but. I think I picked up on the fact very early going on the Couch and Water Bottle tour that the kind of stories that I wanted to tell were not really being funded on a larger scale in film. Tina says that sometimes. The Tina I just finished working yeah. with. That, 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 that it's, it's, it seems like it's more difficult to, A, to have the control you want in the film business and, B, to say what you want to say. It is. And the fact is, is I could have kept saying what I wanted to say, you know, making $25,000 movies. But I wanted... It's weird. The reason that I like having some budget is not because, you know, I want to stage car crashes or I want to have, you know, 10 makeup artists on set, yeah. although those things we'll would will would be lovely. Yeah. But but it's more because of the fact that I do so many jobs. So it was so exciting to not have to worry anymore about answering the doorbell, about returning the equipment, about making sure the people had the pizza. Also, that's going to happen in TV. And, and what HBO I, has money. And HBO has <laughs> HBO is Time Warner, and but they have money, yeah. but they use it in this kind of amazing. They are it's this amazing model, which is that they don't have to answer to advertisers in the same way. Sure. So HBO can sort of fulfill its odd little interests, and that's what I started out as. And I, what I didn't predict was how much I would love the opportunity to develop characters in this way and the kind of the fiber of TV itself. And if they believe in you, based on my experience, I've never worked for them, but I've have many friends and colleagues over the years who've worked for them, and I've I've almost worked for them here and there. Uh, you know, HBO is one of those places like that I think the most successful studios and networks, the way they operate, which is that they vet it maybe to a fairly well, but if once they believe in you, they're all in. You know, it, it's yeah. yours. They give you the money. They, 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 it, it's not too intrusive. Now, now so the template of four women... And obviously HBO is no stranger to the template of four women talking about. But obviously those women were older. Those women? Had you been a fan of that show? Yes. I think that I can't find one girl who isn't at least secretly a fan of Sex and the City who's my age. And I loved it. And, you know, I was very conscious when I was first writing the show. I thought to myself, should I put these girls in Boston? There was, And I tried to make it three girls because – and Shoshana was initially not one of the girls. Shoshana was Jessa's – Zasha Mamet's character was Jessa's – Jemima Kirk's character's cousin. And she kind of came in and out right. as a kind of – she was the – Recurring. She, as a recurring in and out goofball who was so, sort of supposed to call to She's attention. She's in and out, all right. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> She's so dippy, that character. I know. In a wonderful way. She I plays know. it really well. She too. does. Yeah. She plays it beautifully. And But the reason that I – wrote her was to sort of call out the Sex and the City thing. Like, this is the girl who came to New York to have her Cosmos and her Manolos, and it's not going quite right. right. But she was so wonderful, and she added something that the three of us didn't have on our own, and so it became a four-person dealio. And so I tried to make it three women. I tried to put it in a different city, but the fact is is that 
New York mm-hmm. is where it was supposed to happen, and four women just somehow there's a symmetry to yeah. it that doesn't exist. So Darren exist. Star, be damned! I'm going to do. I couldn't help do. it. Right. I couldn't help it. And so, but the fact is, is that you know, Sex and the City is a specter that hangs over in a, I mean, in a positive way, everything female centric, and you know, in the writers' room, every there were so many episodes of Sex and the City, and they tackled every area of sexual function and dysfunction that there's almost nothing you can pitch that they haven't done. But I found that the women on Sex and the City. That those women would have things happen, and they tended to brush off the consequences pretty quickly. Yeah. Whereas the girls on your show, the tone seems very different. Everybody seems to almost be doubting what they're doing, or they have a kind of a sense of of fear or anxiety about it while they're doing it. It seems more real. Was that is that was that deliberate on your part? Well, something I feel about being in your twenties, which is different than you know, Sex and the City was a show about women in their thirties who had successful careers pre recession the best, most supportive friends. They didn't have – I mean they had little friend tiffs, but uh, the characters on our show are tortured. It's sort of impossible to get through your 20s without – it's like if you ask a girl in her 20s, are you a happy person? I think she can say, I have happy moments, but I don't think it's possible. Maybe I'm – maybe people will radically disagree with me, but I don't really think it's possible to be sort of an at-peace human when you are – between 22 and 30. And so I think there's you don't. two. I don't because you think I think— that's a problem that, that, I mean, for me, that's something I've noticed. I mean, because I'm much older than you. And one thing that I've, I, I notice when I went to college, which is a long time ago, an interesting number of people, they really knew what they wanted to be. They yeah. weren't quite sure how to get there. Yeah. They, they had a dream. I want to become a lawyer. I want to become a doctor. I want to go into politics. I want to go into— and, and now people today, it seems like younger people, they really they, they think they have more time to figure it out. Well, They're I turning th- 25, and they really don't have that picture and focus. Do you agree? I do agree, and I think a big part of it is being— I think the the Internet has cracked things open in a way that's both— beautiful and that it helps you find there's so many things that I never would have even known about things that have been huge for me that have existed because of the internet and I think that I've been able to partially you know connect with people who would be fans of the show because of the internet I think you know it's always exciting when I, like I there's this website called rookiemag.com that's run by this girl Tavi Jevonson and it's a it's like a smart teen magazine that exists only on the internet and I just think if when I was a teenager there had been that place and that message board I would have felt like the world was my oyster, like just meeting other weirdo girls who had the same – who like, you know, whatever at the time. I just wanted to like talk to someone about Connor Oberst or something on the internet and that would have been possible. But I think now the fact that like the internet has created so many strange specialized jobs and so many things where it's like, you know, I'm a brand consultant slash blog enhancer or whatever people are. Like suddenly the world feels – wide open, but there are less jobs available. And so it's a really confusing moment to make any decisive choice about what you want to do. It's interesting you say that the internet is responsible for that. And that idea of having too many choices than you need, you wind up... uh, That could also be a metaphor for like men in their 20s dating. I feel like men in their 20s, like I once had dated a guy who told me that he didn't feel like he could be serious about anyone in New York because it would be like eating at the same restaurant every night in New York. Right. There's so many amazing choices. Right. It's New York City. I hope he chokes him at a restaurant. He goes. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. I shouldn't say that. That's mean. That's wrong. I'm sorry. I feel like that. So it's helpful to have it backed up by Alec Baldwin. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. More in a minute. Here's the Thing is supported by the Venture Card from Capital One. 
cardholders get two miles per dollar spent on every purchase every day. What's in your wallet? More at www.capitaloneventure.com. Here's the Thing is supported by LegalZoom, providing access to a network of attorneys for legal guidance through their legal plans available in most states. LegalZoom is not a law firm, but has been dedicated to the legal needs of individuals, families, and small businesses for more than 12 years, providing self-help services at users' specific direction. Information about wills, living trusts, incorporations, LLCs, trademarks, and legal plan attorneys at LegalZoom.com. Use the code THETHING for a special offer available to Here's the Thing listeners. Lena Dunham didn't have to look far to come up with her character on Girls. Physically, I'd say Hannah is... I mean, she's me because I play her, but she's... It's funny because she's chubby, but she doesn't... That's not where her anxiety comes from. Like, right. she's just not... I like playing a character who isn't doesn't have a perfect body, but that's not the main source of their anxiety. I feel like we have very few female characters on television who don't look like models and aren't constantly discussing it. So, of right. course, Hannah has her moments of self-consciousness, just like every woman does, but that's not... She sort of doesn't notice that her clothes don't quite fit. She sort of doesn't think about what she eats. Yeah. It's and I Clothes are just to cover you up and keep you warm. Exactly. And they have some degree of style to them, great, but let's not get carried Ex- away. Exactly. And I like... She's more interested in, like, whether her clothes are funny and witty. Like, I don't think she really cares about being sexy. She's more just like, oh, this dress, like, has owls on it. How sweet. Right. I used to be much – in college, I dressed like a complete loon. I feel like my dad always told me I looked like a lion tamer all the time. I've calmed down just because I realized that you could – A lot of vests. So many vests. Red vests. So many red vests. So many like, you know, strained boots pulled over my weird leggings with a three-flounced skirt. I could never accessorize yeah. enough. It was oppressive. But – You were like in the Luftwaffe. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so so that's – Hannah's sort of physical. I think – Emotionally, some facets of Hannah are that she is, you know, she has a certain amount of wit and a certain amount of sort of spunk, but she isn't really applying it anywhere properly yet. And she's also— You're smart and funny and not mean. Because a lot of the people in that world, in the improvisational comedy world, they're smart and funny and they're mean. And that meanness is the font that it comes from, is that source. I know. And, you know, the thing about— Firstly, my dad is like a manners Nazi. So I think that I grew up feeling like the worst thing you could do was offend somebody. I was just going to say, could you sit up straight in that chair? And then, Your dad told me to say that to you. I know. My da- oh, my God. My dad still tells me to sit up straight constantly. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to call him. And then <laughs> – and it's funny because both my, – my dad is an artist and he paints these sort of outlandish intense – I mean he paints things that are pretty pretty sexual images, pretty aggressive images. You know, a man with a – I mean they're funny but they're intense. It's like two men with – penises for noses in a war with guns and knives with three women. And you grew up around this. this and I grew up around time. it, but it was what was interesting was that my dad was sort of like, you can do no, that in you your work. No wonder you did a work. show called Girls. I know. Dad had penises on, on his face. Uh, on his face, on everyone's face. But, you know, you. I grew up around it, but I, I think that my dad always really showed me that there was a difference between, you know, what your work was and who you were. And he's, so my parents are so polite and so sort of, they just I think so much of this again, I've never had kids. I've you know, I've I don't know what that feels like, but I think How old are you now? I'm twenty six. And I want kids, but I'm not ready. Yeah, no, please. I really I'll I just call HBO tomorrow. I just got a dog. I'm reorder your birth control pills for you. Seriously. No kids now. I don't want kids. I just got you a just dog and everybody what? thinks I'm insane. I just finished season two. Yeah. And you're starting for season how many? three. 
well, we're starting season three, and when it, uh, we're starting at the end of March. Great, I'll be I'm available. so excited! Yay! I want to come and play your therapist. That would be the most fun you thing need in the world. <laughs> Bad. 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 But I forget what I was saying. But I'm glad you don't think I'm mean. I get too guilty if I ever make a mean joke. But do you it's appreciate like, what I'm saying? I do. Well, I'm terrified. It's one of the reasons I don't. I don't really feel like a comedy writer because there's sort of like a quickness and a harshness. And but you need to have those people in your bullpen there? Do you have some more really traditional, edgier? We do have – I have a couple of writers on the staff, um, one Murray Miller who this season was really essential in sort of bringing us just hard jokes. But no one on our staff has that particular kind of darkness. Mm. I've been around a lot of those comedy writers mm-hmm. and, you know – there's that feeling of like even when they're saying something nice to you, they're kind of trying to murder you with their eyeballs. And mm-hmm. it's it's it becomes it's Im- too much salt in the soup. Though. Exactly. It's impressive to me in small doses, but terrifying. You've got to have it, but you've got to mix it carefully. Like when we did our show, that was a, that was a big issue where like sometimes I would say, I just think this is too mean. Like it's, we're going to lose people. Like we want to be we want to be mean, but we have to decide who we're going to be mean to. It's true. Who deserves uh, it? My mm-hmm. thing is also I always I only really make jokes about people I like. Like when there's a joke that references a celebrity on the show, it's usually a joke that I'm making because I'm have really taken note of their work and am fascinated by. It's not because you slept with them and you want to get even with them. No, I don't have that that instinct. So talk about two things: the level of control you have. I mean, you are a very young woman, and I'm assuming it's all you, correct? I mean, it is. I mean, I work with Jenny and Judd really closely, and I I definitely – I think I'm constantly sort of telling myself I have bosses around. It kind of comforts me. I mean – And you don't, do you? Not exactly. Your I have partners. collaborators. Right. I have collaborators. Right. But I have collaborators who I take really seriously and – And who you need. And who I need and who I would never – I think the minute you get an attitude like, it's my show, this ship runs on Dunham and my way or the highway, yeah. I think it's broken. I Hoist think the you, Jolly Roger. Exactly. I think you still want to feel a little fear when you share a script with your collaborators. You want to go, I hope they like this. I'm going to listen to them when they don't. I still feel tremendously indebted to them and anxious about their reactions. And I never feel like, you know— I'm the big boss, and you guys can all get with it or leave. So when the so the Hannah character, you start out. I mean, in Tiny Furniture, I almost feel like Tiny Furniture is it's a prequel. Pre- it's a prequel. <laughs> it's a prequel, prequel in a lot of ways. Because you 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 may become one of these actresses now, where it's all one series. You know what I mean? It kind of is. It's funny when I look at any character I've played in anything that I've made. It's you. It's me, and it's it's funny. I've never played anyone whose name doesn't end with A. I've made I've written all these characters who because I always have to have a name that I think sort of like is in the world. What's of Hannah's Luna? last name? Horvath. It's it's the, the two double syllables. Yep. Someone said to me to be a famous star, you need to have two double syllable names. You do. Do you? Or or two monosyllables. Sean Penn, Marlon Brando. Lena Dunham. Oh, thank you. It my really mom, helps. My mom did tell me that she gave me my name, which is so funny because it's not like we have any actors in you our really family. Name Svetlana? <laughs> so my mom said, I'm named after my Russian great-grandmother. And my mom said that when she named me, she thought, I don't know what she'll want to do, but this is a great name if she does want to be a movie star. That was what my mom thought, which is so funny because it's not like my mom's some crazy stage mom or like any— What is she? She's a photographer. And she's, what's the source of your real closeness to her, to the extent you can say, I don't want to pry? Oh, no, I don't mind. I've, clearly, I don't mind. We are very similar in ways that can be delightful and can be maddening. Something I like about both my parents, and I'd imagine you're like this with kids, too, is she, they really talked to me like I was an adult always. Right. And Critical. I love that. And I love 
I love talking to kids like they're adults because it's like they kind of come alive when you just ask them real questions. And yes. My mom always really let me into her world and say, like, I'm working right now. I'll talk to you in 10 minutes. And just having that kind of access to her was amazing. Sincerity. Yeah. And I just have always thought she was the coolest. And it's funny. And it's nice to see it echoed because all my friends think she's the coolest, too. Now, um, you're going to do how many seasons of the show are you signed on to do? It's not clear. I mean, HBO contractually has me, I think, as an actor for six years, but as a writer and director, I wish I should pay more attention to my deals, but I'm just so excited to have my job. I just go, okay, whatever you say. But I think my dream world is that, you know, I want to kind of follow, like, you know how British shows always know, British shows and 30 Rock always know just when to get off the air. Right. The question becomes how you can maybe, you know, do that TV show. And the, the the schedule is how many months? We do well. We, how many episodes? We've been doing ten. I think uh, between you, me, and McGee, I think we might do twelve next year. Right. But that I works th- for you. I would love that. I don't want to like. I don't have any desire in doing like you know a twenty-two episode. I don't even understand how someone does the twenty-two episode marathon. But I do think that doing. I think that a little more would be just a little more storytelling, real estate, and it would be amazing. But you know, so I shoot. Four, four and a half months out of the year. Then I'm editing. Then I'm doing press. Then I'm writing. Then I'm back. So, sure. so it's I not think, four and a half months. So it's not. It's, it's eight full, months. It's actually more like <sighs> twelve months. No. And so, it did you really, make a movie during the break just now? No, I Why? couldn't because there was just no time. I finished shooting in August. I was editing. Why through. don't you make a deal with HBO where they'll finance your film so you're working for them and it's all in-house? It's very smart. I mean, I, I really want to make a movie. I have two features scripts that I've been working on that I just – I want to make another – before I make like a big, massive, ambitious movie. I mean, I want to make a creatively ambitious movie, but I want to make another small movie. I have I have small movie ideas. Do you have a massive, ambitious movie inside you? I do, but Without it's so – Without getting into an idea, you have an idea? I do, but it's so Is weird. Is there a 54-year-old psychotherapist in it? There's there's a 54 year old somebody and okay. I mean I'll talk to you later. An air because traffic controller. <laughs> working with you is one of my longstanding dreams. Okay. But I um and I'm also I'm writing a book so that's something that was really. Now, well, I heard about that. It's something that was really important to me to start doing at this hmm, point in my you career. You star and you write and produce your own TV show, <laughs> and you're writing a book. Hmm, who did that remind me of? Who did that remind <laughs> me of? What are you going to write a book about? I'm writing a book. Well, I guess it's about me, although it's a little less about me because it also has advice, an advice component. But it's like personal essays. So is it like Paula Pell's Hey Young Girls? Oh, my God. I love Hey Young Girls. (laughs) Makes me so happy. Paula Pell is funny. Paula Pell is someone who's funny and not mean. Yeah. Paula Pell's like— She's mean to the right people. She's just a dreamy person. But, you know, the thing that's been so great about writing the book is I've always loved writing prose, and I wanted to make it— a part of my career sooner rather than later because I didn't want it to be like when I decided to write a book in 10 years, it was like, oh, look, here's a celebrity memoir number 57. I wanted it to really feel like I'm a person who writes prose and that it's a part of my life and career for a long time. But unlike other people that are writing books, they don't have TV shows that they're starring in and writing. When you're done doing now not just 10 but 12 episodes, what yeah. do you have left to go into the book? There's stuff that's just for the book. There's stuff As an that's example. Just- well, like, I write a lot about my childhood in the book. I write a lot about my parents. I write a lot about um, college and sort of like the, I write a lot about that period. I write a lot about sort of like the beginning of being a sexual person. I write about relationships. I'm writing a lot about sort of female um, role models. What do you models. want to say about sexuality? It's interesting. I've had to become more conscious about what I say and what I promote, not in a way that stifles me, but just in a way where I realize now that there are 17-year-old girls who come up to me and tell me that 
the show means a lot to them. And if one percent of your audience is influenced, this is what I learned from someone. If one yeah. percent of your inf- of your audience, one percent, yeah, is genuinely and in any way influenced by what you do and say, that's still tens of thousands of people. It's amazing. It's an amazing thing, and it's like. It's a platform that you have to take seriously, which is why sometimes it's like I used to be really into Rihanna, that pop star, and then it's like, again, I don't want to ever, you know, throw stones from my glass house, but I follow her on Instagram, and I just think about how many little girls beyond what I could even comprehend are obsessed with Rihanna. Like, you know, she left Barbados. She's had this amazing career. She's, you know, won Grammys. She's talented. And then she— gets back together with Chris Brown and posts a million pictures of them smoking marijuana together on a bed. And it cracks my heart in half in a way that makes me feel like Mark, I'm 95 years old. Because you want to be Chris Brown smoking pot? No, because she got back together with someone. No, I know. Who, oh, yeah, exactly. you guys. Yeah. You, you made a really good joke and I got too emotional in, no, no. in my response. Yeah, because I want to be You're in so a bed. You're so sincere. It's terrible. You're not mean enough. It's terrible. No, but so, so you are, as a role model, what won't Hannah or the other girls in the quartet do? Jenny and I talk about this a lot. We won't fuck someone because they have a nice apartment. There's not going to be any version of sort of like prostituting yourself. There's not going to be any version of dating somebody because he can take you out to nice dinner. Wait, wait. You're putting down my whole playbook. This is all I have left (laughs) at my age. Wait a second. That is so wrong of you. Come on. It's interesting. I have so many friends who are so sort of tortured by their romantic relationships. And I think such a big part of it is that the desires of young men and young women are not caught up with each other. And I say to my wife, I do want to eat in the same restaurant every night, but I want the hostess to wear a different outfit every night. Perfect. But but so you say they won't monetize sex. They won't monetize sex. And it's like even more subtle than that. Like I don't like a storyline that's like unless it's really saying something about where a character's at. I don't like a storyline that's like, you know, he bought me an entire trousseau of dresses and so I'm his forever. Like that's just not the way that I want to idealize anything. I think that the characters – the characters can make mistakes, but they have to be emotionally responsible for the things that they've done. I don't ever want to, like, have a makeover scenario where someone's doing better after they've put on a great dress and, you know, straight ironed their hair. Like, I just – there's – it's a really instinctual thing, but it's just a feeling you want which, them to have balance. I want women – this is so kind of hippy-dippy, but I want them to make their own choices. I want them to – I don't want people to live in service to sort of what – television thinks they should look like but or what their family you, thinks they but, should act like. How much do you think the women, because this is a very sensitive topic, I mean, because yeah. I'm, I'm not going to go Norman Mailer here, but I yeah. feel like, you know, the, the interesting thing for society is if women women have been allowed to make their own choices yeah. now for the most part for the last 40 years or totally. at least for the last 25, and that's reaped enormous benefits for society. I mean, yeah. forget about just women. But at the same time, women are the only ones who can have children, it's true. And therefore, in the way that we're trying to, in the traditional family, or even in a gay family, where a man and two guys want to have a baby with a woman, or yeah. two women want to have a child together, that balance of career and ambition and so forth with family, is that something that you struggle with sometimes? You even think, not struggle, I but do. think about. I mean, I think about it all the time, actually. You do. Because I'm... Because you're the product of a happy home. Yeah, and I want all and those things. And you want things. to replicate that. Totally. I was raised to think that the two most important things you could do in your life were have a passionate, generous relationship to your work and to raise children. And so— You still feel that way. And I do still feel that way. You want to have children. Big time. I'm so excited. I don't want, like, to Jolie pit the whole situation, but, like, like at least two. Right. And I think all the time about— It's funny, exactly. Yeah. I might got Jenny Connor's daughter Coco, who's who's eight and is my dear friend. We like to go out to see live music together. Coco one day was like, 
when do you think you're going to have children? Just roughly. And I was like, I don't know, Coco. Like, you know, I'm 26, so I'd like to wait till I'm like at least 30. And she was like, at that point, I think you should um, not be working on girls. And if you are working on girls, you're going to have to cut your hours down to like 8.30 to 6 because you need to be able to be there when they wake up. And you also need to be there this with them at Tina's night. This was issue, yeah. And she basically, an 8-year-old started to school me in the way that my lifestyle would not allow for children. She was like, you know, your boy, my boyfriend's a musician and he tours a lot. And she was like, and she was like, he might have to quit his job. And I was like, I don't think he's going to quit his job. And she's like, well, that might be hard for you too. You might have to really talk about it. Like, and even just now, I just adopted a dog and I was really – Really, it was like instead of just meeting a dog, thinking it was adorable and bringing it home, it was this tortured thing of like, am I going to be able to give it what it needs? And what if it resents me? And at a certain point, my mom, who is really ready to play dog grandma and is planning to spend a lot of time with the dog, was like, she was like, Lena, it's a fucking dog. She was like, it's (laughs) at a certain point. She was like, I get it. I'm glad you're thinking it through. But like, this is not like adopting twins. Now, two things that I think are kind of connected, which is how do men present themselves? You have a boyfriend, and I, I, do. don't, want, and I don't want to pry into your personal life, but you, how do men present themselves to you differently? You said that Hannah was this and that and a chubby girl who didn't – and now you're – now the name Lena Dunham means something else to people. How do men present themselves to you now different from the way they used to? It's interesting. I mean I'm so bad at knowing if anybody's hitting on me. Like someone literally has to like beat me on the head with a drumstick and drag me back to their cave for me to understand that it's going on. And then you would press charges against them. And then I would. And then the they'd, pro- and then the they'd, and then I'd hire world. Gloria Alred as my attorney. And, and, we'd, yeah. and get on TMZ. Exactly. But – you know, the thing is, is that sleazy people are attracted to – and sleazy people and not sleazy people are attracted to any sense of gravitas that someone might have. So I, de- so I definitely have had more – I mean, I definitely have had felt less ignored by the opposite sex, but I'm also so bad at perceiving any of it and so sort How of – How did you know your boyfriend liked you? Well, we got set up on a blind date, so I knew he liked – well, I didn't know he liked me, but – He was predisposed. He was predisposed to like me because what we were going on was a date. And then that was a special situation because I went, oh, I think he likes me and I like him. And right, now, you don't have to answer, t- tell me if you don't want to answer this question, but I just find it charming. Yeah. Where did you go on your first date with your boyfriend? We went to Blue Ribbon Bakery in the West Village. And the reason I was happy was because I find picking a restaurant so anxiety-producing because I feel in like – New York. Yeah, because it's the dilemma of Burden's ass. I it really is. We're going to starve to death with two bells. We're going to starve to death, and also, what if I choose the wrong restaurant and you have a bad association with it, or you think I'm sleazy? Reflects poorly on me. Exactly, it's just the worst. And like, what if we go there and you don't like anything on the menu? You call this a brand muffin? Exactly, it's so so stressful. So he said, before I even had to say anything, he said, "If it's stressful for you, I can pick the restaurant," and I felt like. Okay, I'm going to be in great hands. Where did he pick? And then he picked Blue Ribbon Bakery, and then I ate a cheese. And then I ordered a hamburger, and he said, I think you should get cheese on it. Isn't that nice? And you went, oh, my God, I went, I'm home. Yes, that's exactly I'm I home. I was so glad. You're like, did my mom call you before this date? <laughs> and let you know what you my dreams like cheese, are? That I like Jarlsburg exactly, on my burger? Exactly, exactly. Somebody's suggesting you I want a Jarlsburger. <laughs> I do. And then, and then and you've been dating him for a while. Yeah, a lot, like – Almost a year. It's been. It's. He's a very, very great person. To meet you and tell me if I'm onto something here. You seem like someone that, regardless of what you look like or didn't look like or what you had or didn't have, whoever you were, you have a very, very healthy and kind of guileless sense of who you are. And wow. you presented yourself to people your entire life, going, "This is who I am." And if you like me, great. And if you don't, there's another six point five billion people <laughs> out there. So go for it. Am I right? I mean, that's the most lovely. That's the most lovely way of putting it. I mean, I think, 
I think I always had a feeling like if you just stick around and continue to be yourself, the correct people will find you. And that's something that's been so wonderful about the show is that it kind of confirmed that for me, which is not everyone watches it, but the people who watch it understand it. And that feeling, I'm sure you've had this before, of uniting with your appropriate audience and sort of uniting with your people is like about as comforting as feelings get. You too can unite comfortably with Lena Dunham over the unique discomfort of being a woman in your 20s today. Girls is on Sunday nights on HBO. I'm Alec Baldwin. Here's the Thing comes from WNYC Radio.